With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, May 3rd. We are talking about Notre Dame's blue goal game over the weekend and the NFL draft. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. The final score, blue 17, gold 3. In other words, defense win offense, except for a couple of drives led by Tyler Butner, uh, came up on the losing end. Uh, there, was shot, a, right? there, there was a lot to pick apart there, right? Like that, you know, we spend so much time on the quarterbacks and I think that was my focus during the game. And then, you know, rewatching it, that's for me, at least, that's when I can watch more of like the offensive line play. Um, I thought, you know, I thought Jack Kaiser, Justin Walters were a couple of guys on defense that really stood out to me. Um, but I mean, overall, I thought Brian Kelly sort of said the best afterwards. Like, it's a good team that they need to figure out how to make a great team. Tim, I think you and I sort of wrote the same thing afterwards. Getting great might not happen. Um, but I think you keep the pressure on to be great to, at a minimum, get yourself from good to very good, um, which I think is sort of what this team can be. That's why I asked him post game about the offensive line because difference between good and great at Notre Dame is very often the offensive line. And he was not defensive, but he was immediate in his answer. He's like, well, Tim, and he wanted to explain to me why there are problems still. And I get it. I asked the question because I wanted it to be announced by the head coach. Look, they split the offensive linemen and they split the wide receivers. So it is harder for the offense. And when you split the defense, there's just a lot more good defensive players ready to play ball (laughs) than the young offensive players. So the D was going to win the the day. Jack Cohn, Definitely more athletic than he can show in a red jersey. So that that does hurt. But to think that you're going to celebrate your NFL draft with three offensive linemen in the first three rounds plus Tommy Kramer, and all these guys lost over the last couple of years, and the offensive line is going to be a strength of the team nationally again is ludicrous, and it won't be, but they can be better than we saw on Saturday. Yeah, and, and I, it wouldn't have mattered whether they had whatever they consider to be their first unit together. I, I don't think that was going to make a whole lot of difference. Not still hurts. that it still hurts. <laughs> well, it does, but <laughs> I mean, not against that. The the true strength of this right. team. I mean, they got to have some really good running backs. There's no doubt about. It. But the true strength of this team is the defensive front seven, in particular, the depth at at, at defensive tackle. So the O line wasn't going to win it, regardless what Corey Robinson felt or thought might be happening on Saturday. I, I'm not sure what universe he was living in, but it was going to be a defensive dominated game. And Tyler Buckner sparked, uh, you know, spark, the, the spark that he provided at the start of the third quarter. And then the one laid against some backups, um, you know, it, it belonged to, it belonged to the defense and that's the way we expected that it would. Um, we're going to get into so much of the blue goal game in the second segment and a little bit of draft, but I think, I think let, let's jump over to the draft because um, we were in the press box. Pete, you weren't within earshot, but Tim and I were, of course. And when we heard that Ian Book was picked in the fourth round by the Saints, uh, I was pretty floored by that. Um, wasn't shocked by Owusu-Koromoa falling because, 
I mean, to the extent that he fell, I was shocked. But for him to fall, it's a niche position at 215, 218 pounds. You need the right fit. Uh, good for Aaron Banks. That was a – I didn't have him in the second round, but in retrospect, that was pretty foolish. Not to because he is one of the best guards. And then good landing spots for Tremble. Hainsey, third round, that's excellent for him. You know, he fits the interior line with, with his body type. And I think he had 32 bench press reps in the in the uh, in the pro day. So it's a veteran football player. I think that's a I think that's a a, a really good match for uh, for him and a, and a great get to go in the third round. It was I think probably one of the more surprising drafts in terms of where guys went. I think you know Book and Banks and Hainsey all went higher than I would have thought, and Usu Koromo went lower. Um, I thought Eicherberg, Tremble. You know, even Dalen Hayes, like I wasn't sure with his medical history if he was going to go. Right. Um, so to go in the fifth, I mean, you sort of think about, it's interesting to sort of look back at the draft and compare guys to where other Notre Dame guys went. You know, Ian Book in the fourth round. That's the same round that I think Sheldon Day went in. Um, you know, Sheldon Day was a really, really good college player. <laughs> Ian Book was too. Um, but like, that's... Like going in the sixth or the seventh round, that to me is like the that's the difference between a low three star and like a two star, I guess, in, in recruiting terms. Like they're kind of the same thing. But when you get into like the second, third, fourth round, like that's serious stuff. Um, You're expected to make the team when yeah, they yeah. Do I mean, that's like you might start. You'll definitely contribute. Um, and so that's I think one of the changes in Notre Dame's draft output lately is like. I think you're seeing a higher percentage of first. They didn't have any first, but lately first, second, third, fourths, and not as many fifth, sixth, and sevenths. Yeah. I'm dating myself here, but the 49ers and Cowboys built dynasties on the second, third, and fourth round. I mean, that, that is literally how they built those dynasties because those players are just as good as the first round players. They just don't get paid as much money to start out. I mean, you can grab 25 players in the second, third, and fourth round combined. Now I'm saying combined all those rounds. And in three years, plop them in the first round. Be like, yeah, we could plop out 25 guys for the first round. These guys would fit in. You just don't know which ones. <laughs> That's the difference, of course. Ian Book in the fourth round is incredible for him. That's great. If you would have said Ian Book in the sixth, I'd have been like, wow, good. Good for him. Mm-hmm. But the fourth is outstanding. Another good landing spot, it seems like, with the Saints. Um, great for Hainsey, as you guys mentioned. I love Aaron Banks. Uh, I will say, as a 49er fan, when Usu Kormo was still there, I thought to myself, well, I Kind of like him more than Aaron Banks, actually, but can't, beggars can't be choosers. But I did. Uh, I, I thought Notre Dame had a really good draft, and just seeing all those offensive linemen go off the board has to remind you of what has been lost, uh, and really in the aggregate in the last three years. There's the guys that didn't get drafted, like Mustafer and Bars. Bars didn't get drafted because he was hurt. But all, there's so many Notre Dame offensive linemen from the last three, four years in the NFL right now, and there's plenty of talent right now, but it's young and they're reloading up there. And I thought the NFL draft hammered that point home when you saw those guys going off the board. And, and when you lose, I mean, you lost nine drafts, nine draft picks and five free agents. That's 14 yeah. majorly significant. Maybe, you know, Brock Wright wasn't a frontline tight end. Um, he played a lot of blocks. But he, he played a lot. a lot. No, I mean, so, I'm not, you know, yeah, he played yeah. a lot, but he wasn't a guy that was featured or even necessarily, I don't know how many games he actually started, but that is you can 14, replace him. Yeah. That is 14 main contributors you know, from a team that went the last two years, 21 yeah. and three, right. Or whatever it was. So that that's significant. 
Really happy Friday, Ogundeji, uh, fifth round pick. I had him in the fifth. It's grinded going in the seventh. Did you? I, I, I think I, I kind of got, yeah, I kind of yeah, got yeah. lucky there, I think, but I, I did have him going there. But I was, you know, I thought Eichenberg would go within the first 50 picks and he was 42nd. Uh, I, I blew, I blew it on banks because he, I, I should have had him higher. Um, and then, you know, the free agents, I guess the lions like former Notre Dame players as a free agents. Cause they signed three of them in Kramer McKinley and, and, and Wright. So, um, you know, and I think Nick McLeod, if he can be healthy, I think he's got a chance as a, as a free agent. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. I, I, I think good. Good output, I think, for Notre Dame. Yeah. No, Nick McLeod healthy. Nick McLeod healthy is a player. He's like the guy where you say second, third, and fourth, or it could be as good as first. He's undrafted yeah, seventh no, time no that could be as good as a fourth. He just ton of experience healthy. has yeah. been a captain, press coverage, physical. He, you know, he really, he really does have a chance. So we're gonna talk again, saving all the blue goal game stuff for second segment coming up, burning up the boards. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Segment two, burning up the boards. I promised it would be a main focus on the blue goal game. We're going to start with two uh, NFL draft related questions, starting with Terry Benedict from recruit to draftee who outperformed their rankings, who underperformed. Same book outperformed his his ranking, of course. Uh, And Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, although we were, I mean, I had him third, Tim had him fourth in that class, but Tommy Kramer, right. Would underperform because he was the, Top ranked player at Notre Dame for most of his five years. Yeah, um, and he was Brock never. Wright, he was never I mean, one of the three best offensive linemen, right? No, he was not. And you know, Brock Wright was rated highly, yeah. probably too highly by um, those of us in the in the business. Javon McKinley was a four star uh, wide receiver that ended up being a free agent. But Ade, Ade Ogundeji oh, yeah. is a three star that uh, you know he needed all five years. Used it well, came a million miles. Think about where he was, where he is now as a fifth round draft choice, and where he was as a true freshman and redshirt freshman. Uh, kudos to him. He's a great kid, and he he got a lot better while at Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I agree with all that. I think that uh, you know, book was super impressive, and then yeah, I mean, in, in some ways. I guess Aaron Banks is if you're a, a mid four star going the second round is still a little bit over um, over where you're ranked, but you know it's just sort of interesting looking back. You think you know we were talking about you know will Banks come back to play left tackle? Could Hainsey come back to play center? Like they went in the second and third round. Like you look back <laughs> and those questions like those were kind of dumb questions, but I understand why we asked them. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, like, yeah, I don't think we were looking at second and third round, but right. maybe maybe third and fourth or maybe fifth, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Dalen Hayes was rated highly. He's dealt with so many injury issues in high school and at Notre Dame that I think that that certainly impacted his performance at, at at Notre Dame uh, fifth round 
I'm sure he would have expected coming out of high school that he'd go higher than that, but how, he, has, he has an opportunity. So, how about Ben Skaronik's career move? Go graduate yeah. from Northwestern, transfer <laughs> to Notre Dame, play for the playoffs, and get drafted. That That's out just well. a heck of a calendar no, year for Ben Skaronik. I mean, I, th- I think he brings assets. Uh, you know, he, he's not, yeah. he doesn't have great burst off the line of scrimmage, but he has good size. He catches the ball really well. He high points the football well. He boxes people out, uses his frame. I think he's got a shot. I mean, I like the way he played last year. I wish he would wish he would have stayed at Notre Dame for another year. Irish from A2. Notre Dame has had 20 players drafted over the last three classes. The most or the best stretch for Notre Dame since the early 90s. To what or whom do you attribute most of the success? And Irish from A2 asks, is it Matt Bayless or Clark Lee? I would throw in myself, Brian Kelly, to that. <laughs> do I I would put Brian Kelly at the top of the list because he is the leader of the organization, but there's no doubt that Matt Bayless has, has brought this program along in, in leaps and bounds with what they've done with the strength and conditioning program. And, you know, Clark Lee, but Clark Lee was a, was a a product or a uh, a co-representative of the defense created by Mike Elko. So, I mean, those guys, there are, bring in a lot of quality players, recruiting a, a lot of quality players. But first and foremost, come on, it's Brian Kelly. Is it not? He's the leader of the organization. Yes. Kelly won. Um, I would go Bayless two over. I would the, too. I would too. Coaching. Well, I agree. If we had to really rank it, um, that was kind of what I, I wanted to get Kelly down that path today on a zoom call, but didn't really get in there. Um, just about, the impact Bayless has had on improving the draft position and the wins. Cause yeah, it's like, I think in exit sort of exit interviews with Chip Long and Clark Lee, you ask them like, okay, what's, what's really working. They both are like, they can, they say Bayless before you finish the question. So that's a big yeah, deal. Now, now, right now we have to acknowledge that the Elko Lee team totally transformed the defense from what they oh, sure, inherited. Yeah. So sure, sure. But to, uh, although that, although the previous coordinator, there was never really, it wasn't a matter of lacking talent per se, but those, two, those two guys brought it all together. The Brian Kelly point though, they had 16 guys drafted in a three-year stretch, 14, 15, 16, and it would have been somehow it was only Ben Koyak in the middle of that. So, I mean, you should have had 19 basically that 16 in a three-year stretch is good. As Tim said, what you're not good because you didn't go in the seventh, but you went in the seventh. I mean, there, there's plenty of, of semantics involved here. And then, uh, yeah, the players themselves. I mean, people. Someone asked Brian Kelly this question: Was it UP? And Brian Kelly said the he gave the players credit. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're internally driven to become great, and they are mentally tough enough to follow the coaching process of college football that is obviously not for everybody, as we will get to later. Question from Notre Dame fan five nine three one. Uh, yes, good point, Tim. We'll get to that in a second. Do you think there is a role for any summer enrollees on the field next year? In other words, the 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 non early entry freshmen. Hmm. Um, you know, Brian Kelly mentioned Kari G. Yeah. Um, I I'd say that's probably true. However, if how Justin Walters played on Saturday is indicative of where he's going, then maybe that's the fourth safety. Um, um, but beyond that, I have, a, I have a hard time seeing it. I'm not yeah, sure, I'm not sure who would do it. Yeah. Cause I know Tim, I know you like um, Tucker. Uh, there's just a lot of corners that look like they could 
help out a lot. Is that you know what I'm saying? That if a couple sure. have already been there, it doesn't mean he can't move up to the fourth corner. Um, I want to throw a name out there because I, I never pegged him as a first year contributor, but his body type is way different than their other receivers. So Deion Colsey is just a different. They don't like they have quick little guys right now. If Kevin Austin is not back and and Kevin Austin, they are the they're the smallest little quick. They're like the Smurfs out there, the receiving core. So that would maybe get him a chance at W. Um, I know that W spot is pegged for a healthy Kevin Austin, but we have to see the healthy Kevin Austin first. Yeah, we'll talk more about the receivers later, but I think the receiving core is in trouble if if Kevin Austin doesn't emerge. And then somebody of similar body type or actually larger, Deion Colsey. Uh, Kari G, I think, Pete, uh, your uh, point's well taken. He brings a little bit more size to the – a lot more size to the position than Walters does. And when the head coach points it out, unsolicited, like we always say, it's meaningful. Could JoJo Johnson maybe have a role as nickel? That's a right. possibility. You know, I, I think a few months ago we would have said Prince Collie, but the way Kaiser has, has played this spring. I feel like you can get him into something, Prince Collie. You know, he's got to beat out Pryor, which he can do if he's as good as we think he is. Yeah. Uh, Mawala is just I, – I want to see Paul Mawala – 11 months removed from that surgery. That's tough. That's just tough. I mean, he'll, he'll be better in 2022 than 2021. Paul Moore. I remember Brian Kelly said they would have him this spring. Yeah. He was yeah. kind of there. I mean, he, yeah, that's I mean, just, yeah. Um, you know, that's Audrey, tough, but I like, I know that there really isn't room at running back and their running backs are really good, but uh, Audrick Estime, I think just brings a skill set. Although Logan Diggs is a, is a big play guy too. So I don't know where they fit in. They, they have enough trouble playing three, let alone four or five. But somebody uh, will. We we can't pinpoint it as easily, but somebody yeah. will. Look, it was Clarence Lewis last year, and nobody would have said that in May first pod or May third podcast last year. Yeah. Dip ninety eight offensive line. Can you walk through the individuals who are in the running for starting jobs and give me some quick feedback <laughs> on how each one performed? All right, we've talked a ton about this. I, let, let's try to summarize it quickly. Here's how I would do it. I think there, I think there are four guys that definitely start. Jared Patterson. Zeke Carell, Josh Lug, and Blake Fisher. I think those are your. I think yeah. those guys showed this spring that those you're, those are the four best. Then comes Dylan Gibbons, uh, Rocco Spindler, maybe not necessarily in that order. Tosh Baker, and I would put Kristoffic. I guess uh, eighth. Eighth. eighth yeah. I think there are eight guys that could start. Four, definitely. Uh, I don't think Baker and Christophic start. So really, I think they're I think they're choosing among six guys for five starters. Frankly, yeah, I wrote that story yesterday with that same order, and I do think Baker is a, is behind the Spindler Gibbons who will start duo as long as yeah. Lug is healthy and Patterson's healthy. And now, where everybody is placed, that's a right. that's right. another longer story that we'll debate five hundred times between now and then. Pete, what do you think? I agree with what you're saying. Um, Gibbons will be interesting because I, I think he does not fit at center based on snapping um, that we saw on Saturday, but he, do, he does fit on guard because he's already fit at guard. Um, yeah. You know, we've seen him do that, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know where they'll go with that. Cause I thought Spindler showed that he has, he's been in the weight room at Notre Dame for three months on Saturday and whether it was going against Mills or Heinish or MTA, um, he got walked back pretty quickly. Oh man, Heinish walked him right back. Yeah. I don't remember uh, which quarterback, but it was like 
he was backpedaling for about 12 steps and he wasn't going to, he couldn't stop the momentum. A lot of room for growth there, which is exactly how it should be for early enrollee freshmen. Um, But I, I, I thought that there was a, I'd have to see who they're blocking, but Lug is so much more equipped right now than Baker in terms of, again, college weight room, strength, all that kind of stuff at right tackle. And I thought, excuse me, Tim, I thought Blake Fisher toyed with Isaiah Foskey the whole afternoon. He was good. He was really, really good, Fisher. Yeah, um, uh, to to Pete's point, a fighter point on Gibbons, he had the hardest job by far, having to play center and never playing center. And it was a he's a better, much he's a much better guard than center. And look, he was playing center because they have to have a backup center that's not named Jarrett Patterson and Josh Lug in order for them to function. So that's why he's playing center. If you really, really need a new center, it's Jarrett Patterson, right? I mean, it's not okay, Dylan Gibbons. Let's work through this. It's no Dylan Gibbons plays guard. Patterson plays center. So, so if this Corral, is a spring game thing. Yeah, if Corral is injured, Patterson has to. I mean, pretty yeah, much has why, to. Move yeah, back. I mean, why would you not? We just got to do it. That's really the probably the the smartest way to look at it. That like you need a backup center for practice, but if you're had to play in a game, it would be Patterson, and you yeah. just you'd right. draw one of those other guards. Yeah. And you need a backup center to come in for those two snaps where Patterson gets ready to go play center, and you have to figure out who's playing left tackle or right tackle. I mean, there, it, there's got to be a quick move when Zeke Corral yeah. gets hurt, and it's somebody running in. It's not Jarrett Patterson running down and snapping from tackle. So it's, it's still. T- I mean, as much experience as Patterson has at center. You, you all, I mean, he all, you almost have to give him some reps. I mean, think yeah, your yeah. offense doesn't stay the same from last year to this year. And if he never gets any snaps at center and then Corral gets hurt to throw him in at center and expect him to just hit the ground running, not having played it. I think that's really, really difficult. So right. there's plenty of conversation ahead uh, with regard to the offensive line. DMB 346. How much stock should we put into how Cone, Pine, and Butner perform? Do you think Butner put himself in a position to win the backup job at least? Or should we take his and Cone's and Pine's performances with a grain of salt? It's, it's the blue, blue goal, goal game. game. I take it all with a grain of salt. It's the blue goal game. I, l- I like the way Tyler Buckner looked. And if you just look at the blue goal game, Tyler Buckner looked fine. as a chance to start for the Notre Dame football team. But you know that's not how they entered the blue goal game. So that's not how Notre Dame's coaches exited the blue goal game either. I would, I view Buckner's spring as he has checked the box that he will be Notre Dame's quarterback of the future, um, that that will be oh, a recruiting yeah. hit. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean it will be a recruiting hit this year. Um, but I think when spring practice started, like, you you never know. Like, you just don't know how these guys are going to transition. But uh, So I thought that was huge for Buckner, even if he never plays this season. Um, I thought – I mean, Cone was superior to Pine the way I watched the game and rewatched the game. I also thought Cone had a lot of room that he could improve. And O'Malley, you made this point. I think the red jersey probably hurt him. After he missed Avery Davis, he had a really nice scramble that, you know, called back. It would have been a first and goal. Right. uh, But instead, it's a fourth and 17. And he fit a really nice and really difficult pass into Avery Davis moving to his right. He also had what could have slash should have been a touchdown pass to Joe Wilkins, but Litchfield Ajavon lit up Wilkins at the goal line and, and, and knocked the football loose. But, you know, I, we always say it watching the game from the ninth floor of the press box and, and, and evaluating quarterbacks fully. is just, 
it's just so difficult because there's so much on our plate and so much for us to see. And when I sat down and rewatched the TV version of it, I didn't think that Drew Pine had a very good day. I mean, I thought he, you know, he, he made some throws, the ball of the 42 yarder right the end of the, at the end of the first half was a good throw, a little underthrown, but he had to fit it into a, into a gap. But that pass to Lindsay, I thought was really impressive. That was a real, yeah, that was really nice. But you know, we have a tendency like, okay, Buckner, the shiny new toy. So you, there's a tendency to overlook the things that he didn't do well. He threw yeah. a sideline pass that fell and hit the turf. He got the ball stripped from him. The, the read option for a touchdown. <laughs> I mean, that, that is a, that's a weapon. He's good at it. He's quick. He's, he's a really, really good runner. He did some good things, but again, it's not going to two series is not a two series in a blue goal game is not going to change the depth chart heading into the off season. That's in the real world of college football. It just doesn't work that way. I agree with you, but I, I do, I believe this going into the spring and I think the same thing now, I do think pines the third best overall quarterback on the Notre Dame football team. As far as skill set, Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Even though, I mean, we all agree. Pine, the, Pine gets rid of the ball quickly. He threw the ball well this this you know this spring. Um, I mean, Brendan Clark is probably one of the three best in terms of skill sets on the oh, football team. He's just yeah. not available. Yeah, just he's, not sure when he's going to be right. available. Yeah, either. that's an interesting one. Question from Prez underscore Kennedy. I understand Cone looked good enough to be the starter, but from what I saw, Buckner has to have a short yardage and red zone package. Right? Great skill set and confidence there. We're talking about one play now. One play. Um, and it was an impressive one. It was a really impressive one play. I mean, I w- well, I was impressed by his first play when he like ran a circle around Myron Tagovailoa Mosa. Oh yeah, in the blue jersey. No, the, the the fake out was a, it was, it was a nice juke. Oh no, I give the credit to the MTA. He shut off the outside edge, and he only gained four yards on it. He kept he kept a little guy. He looked quick as heck in, in that, front of him. In that he looked really quick in that spot, though. That was a. Yeah, yeah you did. just sort of see like, uh, okay, yeah. yeah, I get it. Um, no, I don't. I don't think he has to have a short yardage package. Um, I think Cone with a blue jersey has a fine short yardage package for yeah. himself. Now, if they were to decide that based upon the read option skills that he has, right. I, I could understand that. But I'm not. Again, you're not. We're going to make that decision based upon one play. Right. They they did that with Ian Book. In 2018, and it was the weirdest thing ever because we figured Brandon Wimbush would be good at the goal line. But they also did it with Ian Book because we found out later Ian Book won the job, and he was better at that stuff, and he was right. better at and other they things wanted too. To get him on the field, and they wanted to get him on the field. So the that's a little different. Kay Beasley, biggest surprise of the Blue Gold game. Uh, Mitchell Evans. That's who I wrote down. Not and only yeah. not only the three catches, one of them for 32 yards, but some feedback that I got from on the field Saturday that indicated that is a big, talented athlete. Um, I think there were times where he struggled a little bit in the spring. We, we saw some times where he, I mean, I saw him, him and Baron came Baron had some holding penalties that, that in practice situations aren't called, but I thought Evans looked good. And then the feedback I got from somebody that got a, um, you know, that was up close and personal said, a lot of ability there with Mitchell Evans. Mitchell Evans talking to somebody inside the group was, I think, a, a very pleasant surprise for the staff. I, I don't think they really knew what they had 
based on the weirdness of recruiting for the right. last year. Playing quarterback. Like, All right, big, big body, like you can run around. Can you play <laughs> 10 ends? Who knows? Let's find out. Um, so I think that they were they were very pleased with him. He was a pleasant surprise. Um, Anybody else? We all zeroed in on him. You know, uh, I, go ahead, Cam, I you know Cam Hart did some good stuff. I know he got beat on the first play, but I liked overall what I saw there. Uh, and I say that in the sense of like I really Brian Kelly has talked him up and Marcus Freeman has talked him up. But you know, we've only seen like bits and pieces of it. Yeah, like, I like his boundary like, corner and Freeman's scheme is critical um so i thought that was that was good yeah i like the i like cam hart's body language and the way he's carrying himself he 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 carries himself like he knows he's a starter i don't know that that's officially been determined but now they have you know now they have three legitimate corners and uh, if uh, another surprise for me would be ramon henderson yeah who i thought was physical on saturday um when he showed up around the football as well I mentioned um, the first. I was at Jack Kaiser. I just like the game looks very slow to him. Um, I love how he he just seems in command of everything that's happening, especially in the past game. Um, he's somebody that I would predict would make a very very high percentage of the tackles um, that he's presented with. So I'm not saying he's going to replace Awusu Koromoa, but I do think they have a, a really good player at that position. Um, and on the other end of the depth chart. Litchfield Adjavon played well. He really played. I'm sorry, man. I know. Really, I know. We've yeah. been told for years that he won't make an impact, so we go with what people tell no, us. I'm glad you pointed that out but... because he was really physical. He he did yeah. a really really nice job. Talked um, a lot too. He's a talkative guy. Yeah, too. he sure did. Hey, I you know again, I I know I've been saying this all spring, and uh, nobody knows better than you guys that I repeat myself a lot. But uh, M, I mean, MTA coming off the edge on Saturday to see it live and to see the whole field around him. I am just, Brian Kelly said it when spring started. I am, I never expected him to look that agile and flexible coming off the edge. I, I think he looks great. No, I, I, I just thought it was a move because the numbers said it. It turns out it's a move because the numbers say to make the move and because he's apparently very well equipped to play the position. So that's, that's the best reason for a move. Jim underscore Booney. I think we already hit this one. What position group do you have the most questions about following the blue goal game? Uh, I don't know that we really hit it. Um, I, you know, Pete, and yeah, I worked off of your question. It's interesting because in our business, sometimes you ask a good question and get a bad response. Sometimes you ask a bad question, get a good response. Pete asked a good question. I got a good response that most of the media core ran with. Um, and anyway, I, as far as, as far as position groups, I mean, I I'm sorry. I don't see any answers at safety. We can, we can talk about Houston Griffith and DJ Brown, but I don't see any solutions to the questions. I like KJ Wallace. I thought he was around the football again, like we saw throughout the spring. Uh, And I thought Houston Griffith peered into piles of players a lot. I, I, I thought he did a good job of that, but uh, I thought the, um, O'Malley's question to BK about the offensive line was good. And I think got the response that we all sort of expected, right? Like, Hey, we got a lot of rebuilding to do here. I thought his answer about the wide receivers may have been more telling because it was, we have a bunch of seniors who are not playing like fundamentally sound football. And that is, that's kind of an uncomfortable place to be. 
Um, because if they can't get something from he's Lindsey Wilkins, um, and like they all, they all had productive spring games statistically. Right. Um, but keys was targeted 14 times. Yeah. That's a lot. Forget that's, that was a pretty low catch percentage. Um, yeah. you know, Wilkins was, you know, had the drop, um, he had the route on third down that was run below depth and he got blown up by Kaiser and I think Wallace. Um, so to me, it's like receiver is what we thought it was either Kevin Austin is going to be healthy or I think the passing game is going to have some. I, I totally agree. And my point about, you know, the, the question about good and, and, and great or the response about good and great, I don't see greatness at wide receiver. And the only way that they can bridge that gap is if Kevin Austin is a 60, 65 catch guy with seven or eight touchdowns, which is, it's, it is possible. I, I still believe that it's within the realm of a possibility, regardless what's happened in the past, but there is not greatness a wide receiver and I, without greatness a wide receiver in 2021 and some other reasons. I, I just, I don't, I don't see a great football team. If we're talking about a year from now and they had had 15 spring practices, I think we easily would have been saying that. Yeah. I don't see, I don't see greatness with this. I see, you know, the front seven on defense. Well, that's a, that's a tremendous thing to build around, but I don't see greatness a wide receiver. Certainly don't see greatness at safety next to, to Kyle Hamilton. The, the one way I'd stick up for them is if Kevin Austin is healthy and good and eight touchdowns and 55 catches, there's a trickle down effect that makes Avery Davis better. Braden Lenz and Lawrence keys better. Absolutely. And then, if Joe Wilkins, isn't going to be assignment correct and perfect. He does not have the ability of Kevin Austin, Lawrence keys, Avery Davis and Braden Lindsay. So what are you, I mean, move on. Like he has to be, how is he not assignment? Correct. He seems like he would be assignment. Correct. He's, a veteran that knows what it takes to get on the football field. That's that is, you cannot miss that. That'd be like Tommy Reese as a quarterback, not being correct in his reads. No. And that's where Xavier Watts, not, not really sure exactly where with each position that they play, but that's where Xavier Watts, they need him. They need him to beat out Joe Wilkins because there's a limitation on Joe Wilkins skill set. I'm going to skip ahead to a question here because it's going to talk. I want to talk about another young receiver in addition to Xavier Watts. It's from CMU Pence fan. Are we destined to see not as many four to five wide receiver packages this year based on the simple fact that Notre Dame's top skill players are Chris Tyree, Kyron Williams, and Michael Mayer? Yes, but we knew that going into the game, right? Yeah. And we, I mean, they, sh- they showed some of that too. Like the very first snap of the game was 10 personnel, which I don't think they ran a single time all last season. Um, where there was no tight end on the field. But, yeah, I, I think that if you're Tommy Reese, you're probably looking at me like, all right, Austin is healthy, Mayer is healthy, and I have William, I have Kyron, and Tyree. Those guys are on the field pretty much all the time, and then we'll rotate. You know, sometimes we'll do two tight ends with George Sackis. Well, and you have some good, you know, Davis, Lindsey, Keys are, you know, yeah. those are top-skilled position athletes right. as well. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely use Avery Davis quite a bit. But it just, I don't know. I, just, I think they have, uh, you know. Well, Davis, four to five, maybe, four to five receiver. Thing put Davis the, into the, make that a, a group of five with Davis. Yeah, I mean, yes. Michael Mayer is your number one receiver. So if you want to say you're going to have one running back and four wide receivers, if Michael Mayer is one of your receivers, sure. You can have all the four wide receivers out there you want. Split them wherever you want to put them. But you're, he's never coming off the field on a play that matters. 
So you can't have more than three wide receivers. <laughs> That's the one way to look at it. There's a, there's a math problem here. And Michael Mayer and the running back don't come off the field. And then Tyree's the next best player by a wide margin. Well, one guy that we know won't be in the mix as we anticipated after the podcast started, um, Jordan Johnson has entered his name in the transfer portal. That was expected as of this weekend coming out of the blue goal game, uh, at least behind the scenes. And so um, people can now point fingers at Dell Alexander and Brian Kelly for not maximizing Jordan Johnson's talent. But Pete, as in conversations that we've we've had, um, Jordan Johnson. First of all, I, I I I can't stand the talk anymore about Jordan Johnson, the five star receiver. He was never a five star receiver. I had t- hit Tim. I don't know where you. I had him ranked seventh in their in that recruiting class. Um, the coaching staff has learned that this is not a. It's. <laughs> He's not a he's not a top level receiver, and that's why he didn't play. Yes, I agree 100 percent with all that. Um, I do think the off the field stuff academically was hard for him, as Brian Kelly referenced last season. That could be a killer, um, and if you get behind early, it is really hard to dig yourself out of that hole, depending on how far you got behind. And then you know, just from a football perspective, he had zero catches in the spring game. Um, I think he was targeted once. I believe there was a play in the first half where they tried to run a wide receiver screen to him and he blew the play. Like he didn't know what he was doing and he blocked instead of trying to come back for the catch from Drew Pine. Drew Pine ends up getting sacked on the play because he has nowhere to throw it. Um, And then at the end, you see Jordan Johnson put his hand on his head like, ah, I screwed up. Like, it's all right. I mean, this is like, this is big time college football. Like you got to produce. And I don't get the sense that that really ever happened. Yeah. I had him sixth in the class. Now looking back, I did have him ahead of Xavier Watts. So you guys were correct ahead of me because I believe you guys both had Xavier Watts ahead of Jordan Johnson. So Pete and Tim, I tip my hat to you. No, I had him sixth in the class. Um, I mean, no, but seriously, instead of, I mean, good luck to this, Tim, this transfer, he's going to land somewhere like Illinois or Missouri or whatever. And then, uh, I think he'll have another landing spot after that. As do most Notre Dame wide receiver transfers. Know, like, that is my prediction that he will have two transfers. Okay. I know, I know there was a defense of him for only getting targeted once during the blue goal game. Well, he's responsible. He's responsible for being targeted as, as well. To, I just said they tried to target him a second time and he didn't run the right play. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, I, I just, you know, I don't know what to say. He was, he was, he was never as good as he was rated. Uh, so that's the the ratings people's mistake. If you want to be mad at, there's another good receiver transfer. I mean, Stefferson wasn't the same thing. Stefferson got kicked out of the school. He played immediately and started immediately. But if you want to be frustrated that Kevin Austin hasn't done anything yet as a top 100 receiver, Javon McKinley was one, top 120 and it took five years. And Jordan Johnson is now leaving as a top 50 receiver. I get it, but I'm, you look at the player. Right. I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying that they're doing a tremendous job of right. developing receivers. I I I I don't know that they could have they couldn't develop this receiver. I, I'm not sure what they could have done to, to develop this receiver. And in the meantime, um 
you know, there were plenty of fingers being pointed around at everybody, everybody but the player himself. Kevin Stefferson showed up on campus as a freshman, under under recruited freshman, and Brian Kelly took one look at him and said, that guy's in my plans. And Brian Kelly broke his rules of traits to put him in the game because he was that good at football. He literally said after the season, I went with talent over traits. And he wasn't talking about someone else. It was Kevin Stefferson and guys like that. If you're really good, the second you show up, they notice and they find a way. If you're pretty good and you don't do things right, you get sent to the side as a freshman. I do think if you don't flash as a freshman, they think, all right, what else do we have? But I get that. But if you're great, you come in, they see it. You're going to play, man. I mean, he dominated the moment. he Look at Kevin Stefferson. They thought, that guy is killing our players. We have to play him. Jordan Johnson clearly was not killing the defenders. I've never known a coach who played somebody that he didn't feel gave him the best. You know, I mean, I'm I'm going to play somebody that doesn't give me the best chance to win. Who does that? Why have why would ever, any, why would anybody do that? I was gonna say, have you ever coached first grade flag football? Well, <laughs> you bench people for no reason, don't you? <laughs> but I mean, like, okay, you've heard me say this before too. You, I, I when I was in coaching, I was like, well, why don't you give so and so a chance to? Because. I don't have to hit myself over the head with a hammer to know it's going to hurt. I'm not going, you're not going to put somebody in a situation where you know, they're going to fail. So anyway, I, I don't mean to, I, I mean, I don't mean to rip on Jordan Johnson. I'm just, maybe I'm just ripping on the people that, de- that blindly defended him without, without taking into consideration why he really wasn't playing. So we wish Jordan Johnson the best, but it just wasn't going to work in Notre Dame. Going back up to C. Domer, what were your thoughts on the cornerback playing the blue goal game outside of Cam Hart? Has anyone else emerged to solidify the two deep? He did not say starting position. He said two deep. Yeah, he said, yeah. Yeah, yeah Ramon Henderson. I mean, he he yep. was – Brian Kelly singled him out, and I thought he was physical. Um, you know, I don't – Philip Riley, is he there yet? I don't know. We we saw a lot of him. him in the spring, and he was playing ahead of uh, Caleb Offord. Caleb Offord did some good things in the blue goal game. I don't I don't know how much of a future he has, though with Notre Dame at cornerback, but uh, Ramon Henderson. So, I mean, I think you feel really, <laughs> you feel very good about three of the guys because Bracey had a good spring and Clarence Lewis is, is a starter, plain and simple. He, that's, that's set. And, I, and I Henderson think, and Hart gives you, gives you your four. Yeah. I was just going to say that I know he's a safety, but he's also a nickel, which is part of the solution. Like KJ Wallace did a bunch of good stuff too. So yeah. if you, I really you, like it. Yeah, if you have Freezy and Wallace. Yeah. I like that. I, I think they have a, a really good number two corner for college football playoff contention in Clarence Lewis. And then four guys that are a third and fourth corner for I college agree. football playoff contention. No, I agree. And they could use a number one corner. And that they would be shut down Troy corner. Pride. Me. Troy yeah. Pride. Yeah. Julian Love is out this world well, for that. Yeah. That, yeah. That, but that's a good Nick, Nick McLeod. You know, Nick McLeod was a good number one corner yeah. last year. A question from Jay Jude. Kane Barong and Mitchell Evans really flashed in the blue goal game. Do you think that might lead to Kevin Bauman transferring? I think they like Bauman. Um, I don't ha- I don't have the uh, official word on why. Well, he's hurt. He was on the list of guys. That right. I, 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 don't know what was, I don't know what was wrong with him, though. Yeah, I, don't, I, believe, I, don't I believe it was a rib injury. Um, and he just has been. It, it was you know what? I think you're right. I think, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it was a rib injury. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, Bowman's hurt. I, I think he's, yeah. he's not going to transfer. No, but uh, it hurts. Yeah, outside the transfer, it hurts to be hurt in the spring when Mitchell Evans plays well and George Takis is rising up. I do get that. But Kevin Bowman's not a transfer candidate. But he is a candidate to have to now battle Mitchell yes. Evans, right? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I want to read this one, Tim, even though we skipped it because it's funny. Watch ND. When you saw Jordan Batella beat Tosh Baker on the edge with a clean oh. pass to the quarterback, did you, for at least a moment, fear for Pine's safety, regardless of his red jersey? <laughs> I did. It did not occur to me, but I certainly understand because he just doesn't know how to uh, walk away from a situation where he can't make contact. His one hand touch was so violently <laughs> physical. It was like, was it on Pine? It was on Pine, right? Where he smacked was, him to yeah. sack him. It was like, Pine's probably like, dude. <laughs> Chill it out for a yeah, second. Well, like, here. Yeah, because Pine had his back completely to him, so he had no idea who it was, although he may have suspected immediately after <laughs> yeah. it happened, but he was probably surprised that he got shoved to the ground because he wasn't anticipating <laughs> yeah. it. But just because uh, it's one hand touch doesn't mean it can't be an illegal hand it, in the face. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> doesn't mean I can't be physical with him. Okay. Uh Donnelly3434. How confident are you Kevin Austin returns to full strength, ready to go? as the number one whiteout that Notre Dame needs. 0% confident, 100% hopeful. Scale of one to to five, how confident are you? Confident, zero. Zero? Yeah, I'm hopeful, five. I'm confident, zero. Why would he be bad? Why would it work? (laughs) There's there's no evidence. There's zero. There's no evidence whatsoever he's going to come back and be ready to roll and be good. His injury is not going to heal? It could not. It might not. I don't know. It didn't last time. He was out one play after he came back. Like Bonzi one game. Bonzi Colson's playing basketball yeah. again. No, I get it. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm how, not can, confident. Your, I'm, how can your confidence level be zero? He's still on a roster. Well, if it has to be one to five, it's one. <laughs> but other than that, it's not. I have him high. Hey, we're doing our countdown. I have him high in the countdown because I'm hopeful. I, I cling to I cling to false hope. One to five, Pete. One. <laughs> He's never done it. <laughs> I realize I realize that, but well, I'm gonna I I've been saying all I said last year he's gonna lead the team in receptions. So my confidence level is four. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. That's good. Combine your confidence with my hope and we're all in, we're in business. Mac 341, what are your impressions of Marcus Freeman's defense after the blue gold game? You know, it was interesting. I had to watch it on TV again because we're we got so much going on in the press box, but uh, it, in, interesting. There were not supposed to be any blitzes, but boy, there were a hell of a lot of blitzes on Saturday. Uh, you know, what? here's what I, okay. I think this is really great. There's a lot of faking and feigning by the linebackers at the line of scrimmage, which I'm surprised actually that more teams don't do because when a linebacker threatens to hit the a gap, the center is alerted to it. The guard is alerted to it. And certainly the quarterback can see it. All it takes is just a little bit of timing thrown off. And now you've kind of changed the line of scrimmage in favor of the defense. I, I think it's really, I think it's very interesting, all the stuff that they, that they do pre-snap. Because I think it makes an offense think about a lot of things pre-snap that they, there, there's a lot to think about as it is, let alone the constant faking and sometimes actually blitzing in a blue ga- blue goal game where you're not supposed to blitz. Yeah, and I mean, I think they have good, like not every linebacker is good at blitzing, um, but Maris Leofow and Bobauer are sort of made for it. Like 
I would buy a ticket to watch Maris Leifau run into a brick wall. Like he, he, he doesn't always get through like Chris Tyree stoned him, but the sort of reckless abandonment that he plays with, I think is, it's gotta be pretty exciting for Freeman to turn loose. So yeah, I mean, it didn't look like it was super complicated, but Brian Kelly did say before the game, like it's going to be pretty vanilla, but it's like, if that's vanilla, yeah, there were no, Yikes. I mean, I, they're going to bring pressure from the third level and they, they didn't do that on Saturday. Yeah, right, right. I, and I thought, I mean, I guess we're getting to this with the linebackers, but I thought Shane Simon on run on run blitzes no, he, has a knack for it now too. It's I, I may have said this in previous podcasts. I like him just crashing the line of scrimmage. It forces him to be physical, mm-hmm. yeah. which there was a comment made. Apparently Marcus Freeman made a comment to the TV guys that, you know, he's really been on Shane Simon to maximize his ability. And that's what we've been saying all along. And if you, if you force him to be physical right at the snap of the football, yep. I think that's beneficial to him and beneficial to Notre Dame's defense. Brian Millam, 1973. Should I be surprised the defense, particularly the secondary, was the strength of the team Saturday? Uh, nope. Maybe the secondary, but I thought the defensive the front and the linebackers were the strength of the, yeah, of the, the team. The front seven of this team, I mean, the defense, that's yeah. – no, and, and that's why I'm saying anyone that – why would anyone have expected a high-scoring blue goal game if you evaluated all the things that were going on offensively and defensively? I don't know. That's like – with a make – with Notre Dame's starting offensive line, I think, would get beat by Notre Dame's starting defensive line if it was ones versus ones. I agree. However, Notre Dame's number two offensive line would be pillaged and plundered by Notre Dame's second defensive line. So it's like you weren't winning either of those matchups, which which is what we really hard. Mm -hmm. Which is what we saw frequently during the first fourteen practices when we would get the three minute clips. Right? I mean, you would see. You would even the number two defensive line against the number two I, offensive I, line is a mismatch. The number two defensive line against the number one offensive line is what you're saying, right? I'm saying number. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, because yes. yes, that's what I'm saying. Because the number one offensive line, whatever it is, is still very young and inexperienced. Cross Mills, Justin Adamiola, and Botello with <laughs> the th- with the three linebackers that start is a better front seven than the offensive line to face. <laughs> you're, that would be an off. That would beat them. They would beat them. I agree with you. Uh, Need a turnover. Are you as bullish as me on the linebackers? Loved what I saw of Leofau, Simon, Kaiser, and Bauer. I'm on board. Yeah. It's like they all grew up in a, you know, like they all, all, they just improved ever since we've been watching. They all. Well, they, they, you know, I mean, they had to play last year. And And they have white. It's oh yeah, listed. Drew White. I mean, yeah. Drew White. <laughs> top ten player on the team, so that's a good thing. Just, I mean, it's interesting. Like we, we always get like the question of like the the Jonas Gray, Javon McKinley, like, but we never mentioned Shane Simon as a guy for that. And maybe we should. Yeah, it's he had a, that was a nice interception too. And his, his, shoved, his read, I mean, you know, his no, read. it really was, and that was a really bad decision. That was Cone that threw that right. Correct. That was a really that was a really bad decision there because there was no way Kyron Williams was ever going to catch that pass. Um, and well played by Simon. Simon showed last year that he's pretty darn good in coverage. And and Pete, you make a good point because I can, you know, I have a tendency to turn some players into whipping boys and to keep pounding the point home. But 
there was one shot where you just saw him walking off the field and you just saw how physically imposing he is. You can understand why Marcus Freeman is doing everything he possibly can to maximize his ability, because if he could get the, get the physicality tool involved here, he, he has, he has a chance to be pretty good. I think you make a good point, Pete. We are going to conclude with a question from C. Frazier. And it is, after making it through spring football, what position, if any, do you see the coaches pursuing a grad transfer? Well, it would be wide receiver one, safety two A, and offensive line two B. I just say offensive line two B because it's hard to find one that can come in and start. I'm not going to find an offensive lineman. I don't think in it. Well, I don't. I don't know the portal. You might find one, but you got to find one that's better than Spindler and Gibbons' possibilities at guard, and better than Baker as a tackle. Right? I, that's just a hard. hard that, right? That's a hard sell for me. So two safeties, three offensive line. I, I'm going to say the same thing I said at cornerback before the spring started. They have eight corners. I think they just dance with them they have at this point. Well, and to be I, think, with you. I think you roll with the offensive line now with I, what I do too. Yeah. With what Fisher and Spindler showed this spring. Yeah. I think you just go ahead and roll with that. I would a safety. I mean, I would take it. I would take a safety in a heartbeat um, and a big wide receiver. I would still take because you just don't. You just don't know. I mean, that was a, man. That if you you take away Austin's athletic ability as uh, just a receiver or downfield threat, I do think that was one thing I watched the game thinking like, man, they really missed Javon McKinley here in the run game. Um, yeah, uh, no, it's, it adds up, man. <laughs> There's him, Ben Skoranek. It's Yeah, they just did not the, – the physicality on the edge to, like, put a cornerback in his place, they don't really have that. Um, just not a, not a receiver room built to do that. So that if you could find a big body like that, like a Ben Skoranek, uh, I think you would do that in a second. It's – to think that – to think that they got McLeod – Last year in May, I mean that's kind of yeah. Get a safety, get a safety named Nick McLeod in, in June. We'll be no, he'll be all set. Right. That'd be that's, right. uh, That'd make a difference. That's crazy. Well, hey, uh, it was a good spring. We saw way more than we saw last year, which is great. We have O'Malley and I, and and our staff will be putting together our uh, top one hundred and ninety and the the countdown starting next week sometime. So um, great to be back in Notre Dame Stadium uh, again. Thank you, Notre Dame for. For honoring Lou Samoji, it meant a lot to us, and um, it was a good spring. Good. To, now there's talk about. I mean, uh, Jack Swarbrick talked about how very optimistic he is about getting a whole bunch more players or uh, fans in the stadium for this fall. So hopefully things are continue to trend in the right way for Notre Dame and college football and uh, in the world in general. I guess. But, uh, appreciate you joining us. We'll be back next week with Irish Illustrated Insight. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.